And I invite you to take your copy of God's word and be turning to Exodus chapter 20 today. As we continue thinking about a fresh look at the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. While you're turning to your Bibles to that particular passage of Scripture, I'll share this uh, account with you. When James Henry Smith died of prostate cancer, uh, his family wanted to recognize his lifelong passion for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So here's what they did. In preparing for the viewing, the funeral home built a small stage. And they arranged furniture on this stage as it would have been in Smith's home on game day Sundays. Then, according to a July 6, 2005 Associated Press report, Smith's body was on a recliner. His feet were crossed and there was a remote in his hand. He wore black and gold pajamas, slippers and robe. A pack of cigarettes and a beer were at his side. While a high-definition TV played a continuous loop of Steelers' highlights. His sister, Mary Ann Nails, said this, I couldn't stop crying after looking at the Steeler blanket in his lap. He loved football and nobody did anything until the game went off. It was just like he was at home. The great... Bible expositor G. Campbell Morgan said, every man needs a God. Every man needs a God. There is no man who has not somewhere in his heart, in his life, in the essentials of his being, a shrine in which there is a deity whom he worships. Everybody worships someone or something. Everybody. They worship someone or something. Though I didn't know James Henry Smith, the great Steelers fan, after reading about his funeral preparations and his viewing, I have no doubt in my mind what his life was centered around. I have little doubt as to what his God really was. The Steelers were his passion. They were honored in his life. And they were honored in his death. I couldn't help but think of the great contrast between that man and the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You've already figured out as we're taking a fresh look at the Ten Commandments that we are at the first commandment. Of all the commandments, this one is the one that God placed first. Uh, It's first not only in order, it's first also, I think, in principle and importance. This first commandment provides the foundation which all the others will build upon. And I want you to notice there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, where we find the first commandment, where it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, you might be thinking, Rodney... We're in America. We're living in the 21st century and maybe in other pagan lands. People are bowing down to idols and worshiping false gods, but not here, not now. We're modern day Americans. Well, if that's the case, do you not find it strange that uh, for the eighth year in a row, the most popular television show in America is called 
American Idol. American Idol. We don't shun idolatry. We celebrate idolatry. We dream of becoming an American Idol. We glamorize it. We, we, our favorite shows a show that makes idols out of people. You say, preacher, that's just a TV show. Is it? Or is it a reflection of our culture, of our nation, of our country? When we think about the Ten Commandments, do we see them as dusty old relics that are not relevant to our day? Or do we see them as relevant as ever? If you think they're dusty old relics, I want to encourage you to blow the dust off and look with me again today at the First Commandment. Now, the meaning is quite obvious. It says you shall have no other gods before me. It means we're, we're to only worship God. Very plain and clear. The phrase at the end where it says before me, you shall have no other gods before me means literally in my sight. It's not the idea that God is to be the first of a list of gods or God is to be the greatest God. It's the idea that God is to be the only God. Now, knowing this, there's a question that comes to mind. Actually, three I want to talk about today. Three questions we're going to propose and answer in our time today. Number one, why is God to be our only God? That's a good question, I think. Why is God to be our only God? Well, look again there at Exodus 20. We'll begin reading this time at verse one. The Bible says, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, why is God to be our only God? Well, first of all, because of who he is. Verse one tells us that it's God speaking here. And verse two says, I am the Lord, your God. This is the God of the Bible, not the God of man's imagination. This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who gives us life, who gives us breath. It's the one who's causing your lungs to work, your heart to work, giving you breath and life this very moment. This is a God who is holy. It is Jehovah. It's the only God. He's holy. He's righteous. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's transcendent. He's eternal. He's merciful. He's unchangeable. He's just. He's loving. He's good. He's God. And the reason he's to be only God because of who he is. He is God. Isaiah 44, 6 says this. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. So he's to be our God, first of all, because of who he is, but secondly, because of what he's done. Look at verse two again. Speaking to the children of Israel, it says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. So go back in your memory. You were brought up in church and, and you've been in the faith for some time. Uh, you remember the story of the children of Israel. And they're there in Egypt and there arose a, another leader. They forgot about Joseph and the, the children of Israel in bondage there and they're slaves. And God delivers them with a mighty hand. He brings the plagues upon Pharaoh and the people. He delivers them with an awesome power. They go out and they cross through on dry ground through the Red Sea. They're hungry. God feeds them with manna from heaven. They're thirsty and God gives them water from the rock and we come and all that's taking place and we come to chapter 20 and God says, listen, I'm the Lord, your God. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He redeemed them. He brought them out. He's to be their only God. Now, listen, child of God, 
Do you realize that God has also provided redemption for you and for me? He has freed us from the bondage of sin, the slavery of sin, and set our feet upon the solid rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot or without blemish and without spot. He has redeemed us because of what he's done. He's our God to be our only God because of who he is and because of what he's done. And by the way, his work doesn't stop. He's still working today. He's still active in your life today, child of God. He's bringing you to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Why is he to be our only God? Why? Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. And thirdly, because of what he said. Verse three says, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse one says, I am the Lord. He says, oh, uh, God spake all these words saying, verse two, I am the Lord, your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You ever heard the saying, God said it. I believe it. That settles. You ever heard that saying? It's a popular saying. Days, but it's not an accurate saying. It's not a right saying. You know, oh, preacher, what do you mean? Well, that saying says God says that I believe it. That settles it. But that, that's not quite right. You need to take out part of it. Here's the truth saying God said it. That settles it. Whether you believe it or not, whether I believe it or not, God said it. That settles it because of what he said. God says, listen, no other gods. They come out of a land that worship many gods. He had delivered them from that. He's spoken. We are to obey. That's interesting. You say, well, you know, preacher, that's Old Testament. Well, let's go to the New Testament. You don't have to turn there if you'd like to. It's in Matthew four. But it's interesting to consider when the devil was tempting the Lord Jesus Christ. You find that account in Matthew chapter four. You remember that the devil is there tempting Christ and. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, we begin reading these words. Again, the devil took him, that is Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, the devil said to Jesus these words, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and, remember, worship me. Now listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 4.10. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. No doubt about it. The Bible is abundantly clear that God is to be our only God and we're only to worship God. Why is he to be our only God? Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. And because of what he said. Now, what an awesome truth. Now, I told you last week as we introduced these that we often think about the Ten Commandments in a negative way. But they're not negative. They're positive in this regard. Yes, they do show God's holiness and God's righteousness and the perfect standard. And they condemn us in our sin. But here's the glorious thing. They also reflect the love of God. Remind us of the love of God. Why? Because what God is saying here in this command is I want to have a personal relationship with you. See what he says? You show you. You shall have no other gods before me. I want to have a relationship with you. Now, think about that. Think about that, beloved. I'm sure there are persons in our world that you would love to get to know, love to befriend, love to be on their uh, contact list. 
But think about this. The God of the universe, creator, holy, righteous, almighty God says, listen, I want to have a relationship with you. You shall have no other gods before me. God desires to have a relationship with us. Praise God today for his grace. Here's what God did. God says, listen, I'll create you. I'll give you life. I'll let you live. And beyond that, even though you sinned against me and you rebelled against me and and, and I'm your creator, but you turned your back on me, I'll I'll redeem you. I'll give my son in your place. I'll let him die and take your sin upon himself. Why? Because I want to redeem you. I want to have a relationship with you. Now, that should blow our minds, beloved. That God desires a relationship with us. And he does. Why is he to be our only God? Because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of what he said. But have you ever considered just how difficult this command really is? Ron Mel said the greatest challenge in all of life is to keep him first. Think about it. He says our number one task as believers is to make sure that nothing, no God, person, object, task, duty, pleasure comes before him in our priorities, in our plans and in our affection. You ever consider just how difficult it is to make sure that God stays first in your life? Which brings us to our second question, and that is this. Who is your God? Who is your God? (laughs) You say, preacher, God is my God. Really? Really? Be honest today, at this moment, who is your God? Not just in profession, but in practice. Who is your God? Who are we serving this moment? Who are we worshiping? How do we know who our God really is? J.I. Packer, I think, helps us. He said, your God is what you love, what you seek, what you worship, what you serve, and what you allow to control you. I'll say it again. Your God is what you love. What do you really love? Your God is what you seek, what you worship, what you serve, what you allow to control you. So I ask you today, who is your God? I'll be honest with you. I think we really know the answer to that question. We really know the answer. We, we know who or what occupies our time and our thoughts and our money. We really know what fills our speech and our dreams and our longings. We know what we're seeking after in life. We know, don't we? We really, we, we know. We know. I, I sat down and as I was studying for this message, I began making a list, a very informal list. Just started jotting down the gods that people serve. And the list became very long. It's not complete. Let me just share a few with you. A lot of people serve the God of money. They love money. They seek money. They're truthful. They worship money. They dream of money. They long for money. Now, money, we have to have money to live, right? And all of us have to have money, but money's not to be our God. Some people worship the God of sex. Our nation seems to have kind of set that God up as the God. Would you agree? Everywhere you look, that's all we see is the God of sex. Technology is a great, when I say great, I mean a a huge God in our society. Some can't wait to get their hands on the next gadget, the next computer, the next thing. And they just live for that. Some actually worship their family. 
say, oh, really? Yeah. Some worship fame and many people worship their self themselves. That's a huge God. Some people worship sports. I, I think the man in our opening illustration, I think we could very safely say that was probably the case with him. Some people worship their job and their career and some people worship education. They can learn more and, and some are seeking pleasure. And did you know that some even worship and have ministry as their God? You say, preacher, how in the world can somebody have ministry? I mean, isn't ministry about God? Well, that's the problem. Ministry can become about other things and personal egos. And, you know, I have to be careful as a pastor that I don't let Red Hill Baptist Church become my God. Because God is my God. This is the calling upon my life, but God must take first place. Some people worship their personal goals and some worship fashion and some have a God of their own making. And they they make up in their own mind what they want God to be like, maybe like a grandfather who's doting or or maybe like a a magic genie or whatever. They have a God of their own making. And and some people worship actors and actresses and they follow their every step and read about tabloids. And and some follow singers and and they just follow their career and, and they just love the and they worship those people and some seek success and and others have hobbies and others have collecting and then others it's their home their home is their god and they they worship and they just get it just right and and others they they love their car or maybe many cars and they they worship those cars and they pursue after them and and many today i think worship their cell phone You imagine what kind of revival would take place if we prayed as much as we texted and talked on the phone? Some people worship video games and some people worship Facebook and some people worship Twitter. And you say, oh, whoa. Now, I warned you last week, right, that we're going to get personal. But see, you say, preacher, you're getting too personal. Listen, I'm not getting personal. God is getting personal today. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, here's what's interesting. Out of that list I read to you, almost all of it was proper and right in its place, wasn't it? Think about it again. Money and sex and technology and family and, and sports and job and education and pleasure and ministry and goals and those sorts of things. Success and singers and hobbies and collecting and Facebook and Twitter. In their place. Okay, right? God has given us all things, all good things for you to enjoy, right? Things that are right, things that don't go against his word. But the problem becomes when those things become our God. Aaron Lutzer said this, every God you serve desires domination. And that's what happens if we begin pursuing the wrong thing. You know, I've heard guys talk about it in the past and so many guys get caught up in different things like like golf and, and that little white ball. And I, I, play, I say I played golf. I went to the golf course and I pay money and I would go chase balls in the woods and just dig them out of the water and everything. But now that little white ball can become a god, can it? I mean, because you just everything's about that. And other guys worship whatever ladies worship, whatever. Our gods may change with time and interest and Maturity, but because our interests change. But listen, here's what I'm asking you. Who are you serving? Who is your God today? Not not mere profession, not just saying, oh, I worship God and God. No, who are you worshiping today? 
Who's reigning on the throne of your heart? What are you bowing down to? What are you seeking? What are you serving? What are you loving? What are you allowing to control you? Now, if anything came to mind today. Besides God, will you repent? Will you repent today? Will you say, God, please forgive me. I've allowed this to become a God. I've allowed this to take your place in my life. Will you give it up today? He's graciously waiting and willing and longing for you to let him reign supreme in your life. This this command is all of Mar given for your health, your protection, your happiness. It's given out of a heart of love for your good and God's glory. Be honest today. Be honest today. Don't answer out loud, but in your own heart, you know the answer. Who is your God today? Who are you worshiping? Who are you serving? You say, well, preacher, can you move on? Can you just... I'll ask you one more time. We'll move on. Who is your God today? Who is it? First question today was, why is he to be our only God? Because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of what he said. Second question is a personal question. You must answer. I must answer. Who is your God? Third question. What does keeping this command look like in everyday life? Now, I gave you a bookmark this morning and. You can stick it in your Bible and stick it somewhere and begin learning it. But what does it look like to live this command? I think it's a very valid question. What does it look like to to have God as your God? No other gods before him in your life. Now, remember, we're under grace, not the law. We don't keep the commands to earn God's favor or earn God's salvation. We keep them because we love him and because we desire to please him. We don't keep them in our strength. We have to keep them in his strength and the power enabling of the Holy Spirit. So that being said, how does this play itself out? Well, I'll give you four things real quick and we're done. Number one, if we want to live this out in everyday lives, we must know him personally. We must know him personally. You must know God through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're not saved today, God is definitely not first place in your life. He's not your only God. You don't know God. And so Jesus died in your place. Jesus Gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. He arose for you. And if you return from your sin today, he will save you. You have to start by knowing him personally. So if you live it out, know him personally. I invite you today to come and meet him through his son, the Lord Jesus. Secondly, you must love him supremely. You must love him supremely. Jot down this reference and let me read it to you. Matthew twenty-two thirty-five through 40. Matthew twenty two thirty five through 40. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I mentioned that to you last week as there's two groups of commands. The first group deal with our relationship with God. No other gods, no graven image. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep God's name uh, holy. And then the second group deals with our relationship with one another. One is a vertical relationship. One is a horizontal relationship. You're to love God supremely. Love Him above everything else. Because really, what you love above everything else is your God, right? Number three. If you're going to keep this command, you need to obey Him completely. Obey him completely. Jot down this reference. First, John two, three through six. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 
But, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. But he who says he abides in all himself also to walk just as he walked. That's not sinless perfection, beloved. But that's the, the desire and the overwhelming seeking after pleasing him and obeying him and everything. Obey him completely. He's God. He deserves our obedience. And then fourth, seek him preeminently. Seek him preeminently. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Let me ask you a question. Does God get first consideration in your life or last consideration? Let me let me explain. When there's a decision to be made, when there's a choice to be made, do you consider God and his kingdom first or do you consider yourself first or your family first or somebody else first? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God is righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So many give lip service, but not life service. They honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. God and his work takes a backseat to so many things. And I think it's reflected many times in church attendance. What does it take to get you out of God's house? What does it take to get you out of worship? What is it that you want to do beyond this? You say, oh, this is boring and and you're getting personal and I don't like this. And listen, we're here to worship God. We're here to honor God. I want to tell you as we, we bring this ship in for landing today. This is not always easy, this command. I was talking with Gideon about this this week. He came in my study when I was working. We were started talking about the command. And I want to encourage you talk with your kids. You say, how, how do you train your kids in, in the Lord? Just just use every day. Just talk to them. If you see a beautiful sunset, just isn't our God great? He gave us that. You see, just just use everyday times. We were talking about other gods and worshiping other gods. And he brought up a point I had not thought about. And he started talking about he mentioned the man in the Bible who made the statue. And made people worship it. And he was talking about, of course, Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter three. We don't have time to read it today. But that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Remember that story? And by the way, let me thank our teachers and workers here who help us, us to have Christian homes and to train our children. What they learn in children's church and Sunday school and BBS and all those times. Your, your work is not going unnoticed and unappreciated. And I appreciate it so much. I know other families here do as well. But you remember in that story, he set that giant image up. And he says, when you hear the music, you're going to bow down, you're going to worship. But there were three men. Now, here's a quick question. Where was Daniel? You think Daniel bowed down and worshipped? No, I think Daniel was out of town on business, honestly. Later on, he was thrown in the lion's den. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed, no, Abednego. Oh, not to bed we go, but Abednego. <laughs> Some of you are ready to go to bed. Remember, they say, oh, king, we're, we're not careful to answer you, but we will not bow down. We, we will not worship your God. Our, our God, if he desires, he can deliver us. And you remember old King Neb got upset. I mean, upset so much that he heated that fiery furnace up and he got rid of some of his best men because it was so hot when they just got near it to throw them in. They themselves perished and Neb sitting there watching uh, didn't have TV back then, but I guess they had the fiery furnace channel and he's there and and uh, 
He looks and there's three men in there and they were bound, but now they're loose and walking. And when you remember what he said, I see a fourth man. I see a fourth man. We believe, of course, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, they came out. You know, I can't even I can't even go around people, you know, that that's that uh, smoke because it, it affects me. And, and I come out and I smell like smoke. Right. And it bothers me. But they were in a fiery furnace that says that they didn't smell like smoke. They weren't hurt. It, it burned off the cords and nothing else. And our God delivered them. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I remind you this. This command is not always easy. This command, in fact, can be very costly. It can cost us opportunities. It can cost us in careers. It can cost us in so many ways. But it's a question of obedience. God says, and I'll say it again, you shall have no other gods before me. And so I come back today with that other question that we've been asking over and over again. And it's simply this. Who is your God? You personally. God says to each and every one of you. You shall have no other gods before me. Who is your God? Let's bow our heads and pray today. Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you for your graciousness and the opportunity that you give to us to have a personal relationship with you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in this place today. And Father, I pray that you would work in each and every heart. And while your head is still bowed and your eyes are still closed, I want to give this challenge to you. In a moment, we're going to sing a closing hymn called Worthy to Worship. If you don't know Jesus Christ today as your personal Savior, I want to invite you to step out from where you are and come and meet me here. And I want to place you with somebody who will take a Bible and lead you to Christ. And then if you're here today and you're already a child of God, and maybe God the Holy Spirit is pointing out some things that are out of their proper priority, Things you're seeking, things you're serving beyond God, before God. Would you come today in repentance and would you place him again supremely on the throne of your heart and your life? And would you say, oh, God, help me. I want to have no other God before you. One of the greatest challenges we face in the Christian life. I think Ron Bell was right. Even as a pastor, I face it every day. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, Father, bless this invitation, I pray. And have your will done in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing today, I hope the invitation is clear. If you need to be saved today, would you come? You want to come and pray and lay some things down. Would you come as we sing a glorious hymn called Worthy of Worship, Worthy of Praise? And that is our God. And as we sing, you come.